Good afternoon, Jenny. Good afternoon. We are here and it's going to feel like a live episode to us because mm-hmm. we've had uh, kind of crazy weeks, I feel like, both of us a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you weren't feeling super great the other day. My daughter's been having some health stuff. So all of that to say, we're looking at our notes and we're like, wow, we have no idea what the other person's going to talk about. And that's going to make it extra exciting. (laughs) It'll be good. It'll be good. But today we are talking about Abraham and Isaac, Mm -hmm. the binding of Isaac. That's how you've titled all of our um, notes and things. And I've, every time I see that, I'm like, no, no, no. It needs to say the sacrifice of Isaac, but no sacrifice actually occurred. Yes. Anyway, we'll get into that because I think that's, it, it is an important distinction, Mm -hmm. But that's where the line gets a little blurry, right? But Abraham and Isaac and his willingness to kill his son for God. That is our difficult Bible passage for today. But to start with, you have a few questions for me for our Bible game, right? I do. And you said that this one's going to be a little bit different from the rest of our Bible games. Yes. To start out the Bible game, again, this is not maybe the best choice for a podcast because this is an image But I'm going to describe it while Liz is looking at it. So the question is, can you identify the artist of this very famous painting? Um, And it's titled The Sacrifice of Isaac. So for listeners, this painting is done in in a Baroque style, and it shows Abraham holding Isaac down while raising a knife as if he's about to sacrifice him. And then an angel is reaching in, grasping Abraham's uh, wrist with the hand, uh, the wrist where he's holding the knife and stopping him. So if you kind of, if you just start Googling or start looking, this is the image that pops up. And I recognize the style and the painter. And I want to know if you'd, if you would, this is why it's trivia. Jenny, I, I know like no painters. I am not, (laughs) I don't think I'm going to do well at this at all. I I feel like I need it. I need like a, a multiple choice. <laughs> okay, I can give you. So uh, my hint that I have written down for you is this artist also painted a very famous work called St. John the Baptist in the Wilderness, which is more famous than the Sacrifice of Isaac. And it's actually on display at the Nelson Atkins Museum in Kansas City. So it could be uh, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, um, Monet, or Caravaggio. I have no idea. <laughs> Okay, so Monet does like splatters. Yes, this is going to show go. how I. This is going to show how I know about theology and not art at all. Um, da Vinci, I know. I mean, this actually kind of looks like some of his stuff, but I don't know my period. I don't know my time know. periods very well. I don't. Either, and then who exactly. else? The last one I. Oh, no I gave idea. you uh, Da Vinci, uh, Michelangelo, or Caravaggio. Okay. Michelangelo, I know, did sculpting, but he also painted on that one chapel, I think. The Sistine oh, Chapel, yeah. Gosh. I don't know. I have no idea who the last one is. Which it's, it's probably him. Yeah, it I'm is. Just gonna, oh, oh, I was it just going to eliminate him because I was like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I gave All it right. away. Okay, it's Caravaggio, Italian painter, Baroque painter. Ginny, uh, um, you're flexing your history here. Your history I, go- I did Google it, but because, I, because I've seen the actual painting of John the Baptist, I recognize the style, and I just, I thought, well, I have to talk about this. Yeah. So. I love it. Well, you know what it reminded me of? It's my four-year-old soccer game. They lost. They were 10 to 1. So, or like 10 to 1. The other team had 10. And the only one they got 
was when the other team accidentally kicked it in their goal. <laughs> so they still didn't really get one. That's what I felt like just happened. Yeah. With yeah. me guessing. <laughs> anyway. So my, my other questions are not image based. <laughs> Okay, but I hope goodness. I hope it'll still oh be enjoyable gosh. for us. For hope our they're listeners. not history or like I hope they're not artist based either because they're I'm not artist based. No, no, no. <laughs> they're more like you probably you'll probably get these. I don't know. So okay. Um, my next question for you is how old was Abraham when his son Isaac was born? Oh dang, he was up. Old man. All right, I'm he was a hundred. Well done. In the Bible, which I am curious about their dating because their dating system of ages. Because I know mm-hmm. sometimes they have people being hundreds of years old. Yeah. So the elixir of life or youth or whatever. So you got that one correct. Okay. Good. Next question: What is the name of the mountain where God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son? Oh my gosh, I literally just read this. I know. I was I did see in your notes like, oh, the, oh it's in the passage. No. It's right there. But don't don't cheat. Oh, I just looked. It's Mariah. Mariah. <laughs> I just looked on accident. <laughs> what does the name Isaac mean? I think you know this one. Ooh, laughter. Yes, absolutely oh, right. It means laughter. One who rejoices or one who laughs. All I right. I love that because we looked into it when we were gonna have our son. Oh, now we're getting to a little bit more of the original Bible game, true and false. Not exactly, but anyway, this is a true or false question for you. Here's the okay. statement. When you start Googling Abraham sacrificing Isaac historical interpretation, one of the very mm. first search suggestions that comes up will be Abraham sacrificing Isaac coloring pages. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to color that <laughs> or know. have my child color that. <laughs> We're, we can just assume, yes, it is true. When I was Googling, that was like the first thing that came up. And I was like, coloring pages? No. <laughs> oh, so this was a true or false. This That's is what you true. Just said. I thought you were just telling me that. And yeah, I was sorry. Like, yep. It's, it's too crazy to not be true. It is absolutely I would never crazy. have thought of that. It was a crazy thing you found. <laughs> it was a crazy thing. I was just trying to do research. I'm like, I don't want elementary age coloring pages what is this <laughs> so that that concludes today's bible game okay wow that was that was like um a multi-discipline sort of bible game or it, multi what, what's multi-category at least yeah multi-discipline multi-category yes I try to stretch you in many different ways. I mean, it's such an odd passage in a lot of ways. It's it's fitting that we had kind of a Mod Podge game because I feel like we're going to hear a Mod Podge of different ideas that are Mm -hmm. sometimes contradictory almost. So it's a perfect start to it. Okay. So the binding of Isaac or the sacrifice of Isaac, what are we talking about? I, I just want to start off by saying the person who suggested this, I actually reached out to her this mm-hmm. week and, you know, asked, is there anything you want us to cover in particular pertaining to this subject? And she, I think, so well articulated what really is the issue here for so many uh-huh. of us, which we will, I believe, get into later. And hopefully, because it's a surprise, we're not sure what kind of notes each of us brought today. So we will see. But she told me, she said, if I were to tell you, if I were to call you and say, hey, Liz, 
I'm going to sacrifice my daughter today because mm. God told me to. <laughs> she said, you would say, okay, why don't you come over here? I would I'm say, just lock let you me keep you, yeah, let me keep you on the line while also <laughs> dialing 911. Like, yeah, like, right. Keep talking to me, but also like I'm having someone else call 911 immediately to have and, first responders yes. sent to your house to take away your child. Exactly. This is a sign of someone mentally unstable I mean, that's what we would think. This is a sign of something gone terribly wrong. But so many of us are taught when this happens in the Bible, this is a sign of Abraham's faithfulness because not only does he hear this, but then he acts on it. Mm -hmm. And granted, God steps in and stops him from killing his child. But it is taught in so many churches as this this act of great faith. So what are we what are we to do with that? And how do we think of that? you know if if you're a christian do you still apply that if you're an Mm -hmm. atheist it's it's easy of course it's like okay yeah mythology like everything else toss it out right Uh, and and we'll get into some actually actually there are some interesting atheist points on this we'll get into a little bit later but um but i think for people who are still believers either you know jewish or christian or even just hold the bible as some sort of spiritual guide this Mm -hmm. is i didn't really think of this as a difficult passage till it was brought up i didn't either actually i think i just yeah what you how you you know you talked about abraham's great faith and that's kind of always how it's been taught and so i didn't think into it too deeply and then when you brought it up i'm like oh this is really uncomfortable what i found was i didn't really didn't bother me Uh, i didn't think it was too like sad or too heavy and you were just saying like this was a really heavy topic to research. I'm like, huh, that's interesting because we kind of, we were looking for different things so we came up with mm-hmm. different sources. But then, I was talking to my friend today actually and uh, my friend is Catholic and I think she, based on what she said in the Catholic understanding, I think she kind of also agrees with kind of how you introduce this. And so when I was kind of putting my questions to her and she had good reasons and like it was a really helpful conversation for me but I, as i was just really sitting with it i was telling her that i actually i feel like physically feel uncomfortable and like stressed mm. thinking about this um mm. now that i'm really getting into it and i'm not comfortable i'm not comfortable with it um yeah. and so just exploring that and being there right now like right now i'm not I don't like this. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's just been very interesting to really think about why this is difficult to, to understand or to be okay with. Yeah. And I think part of it, I've been thinking through this whole series, you know, there are multiple passages that have never super bothered me mm-hmm. till now until someone else brings it up. And it's like, but I've heard them all before. Right. So I wonder what that's doing to our psychology or to the psychology of kids who are like, here's a story. And here, and so you tell them a story, right? And it's like, okay, but God is good. And this is, and then you stamp good and God and faithful, these words to it. And of course, there's not this conscious processing that's going on. I think at least for me. I think there is. Okay. I was say, I think sometimes parents do. Like it is a conscious way of trying to make this framework but anyway i didn't mean to interrupt you. oh Please i see ahead. what you're saying i'm saying like, yeah the, trying yeah. to make parameters for them yes i was more meaning so like, when i've heard this story as a child, you know I, okay yes yeah. when i heard it i didn't think i was getting negatively impacted by it or anything mm-hmm. it was just that's how it is and i wonder i don't have any statistics on this but i wonder if there's some carryover into some of the anxiety you and i both have experienced about kind of what God might be like towards us when we mess up, especially concerning yeah. hell. But I wonder if, if there's any of this hangover from some of these stories 
especially within the interpretations we're taught, which we're going to mm-hmm. get into today, um, that we don't consciously process as kids because it's like, okay, here's the story and you gave me the moral of it. So now moving right. on. Right. I don't know. It's just really interesting. But when my friend was talking about it, it's true. Like, this is problematic. I'm glad we're looking into it because it's mm-hmm. something that if we are not saying it's problematic, we're probably not looking at it either closely or from any other lens other than kind of the one that maybe we were first taught. So it's a bit of a long passage, but I'm going to actually read the whole thing to us just so we really don't miss anything before we start. This is in Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He, God, said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord. It shall be provided. Yeah, that was that was a lot, not just length, but in like the raising up of the knife and putting him on Mm. on an altar and putting the wood on him like, ugh, like, I don't think I ever really thought about that before. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. It's like terrible. (laughs) Right. So. And okay. I just find it like adding insult to injury to be like, Hey, uh, can you carry this wood? That's a good point. That's that. And there's, I think there's, there's possibly, there's reason for that. There's reason why Isaac carried the wood. We'll get into that. But just to set the stage during this time in the Old Testament, child sacrifice was very common. So Abraham was in and amongst the Canaanites. And so this was the culture that Abraham was in. And so when you said, if your friend called you up now, you would be thinking, you're crazy. Like I need to call child protective services. Well, if someone called, someone texted Abraham on his cell phone and was like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. It wouldn't have quite the same shock value in, even though it it should, right? Because God and God clearly forbids human sacrifice elsewhere, right? Elsewhere Elsewhere in the Bible, elsewhere in the Bible. Yes. So I know that you're thinking like with, you know, your atheist hat on, 
And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I think more so just from a Christian standpoint, like a holistic Christian standpoint. So that there's an important distinction, but mm-hmm. God does command to never sacrifice children. And if we believe God is immutable, he's unchangeable. We need to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. But Abraham didn't know that God had not said that yet. Yeah. That's a so, good point. That's where that's that's kind of where we're situated in the story in the Bible is that we're in the land of the Canaanites. There's child sacrifice going on, um, but Abraham probably I mean he has a relationship with God. Um, I was also thinking again this is from another place in the Bible, but it talks about God writing the law in our hearts so that we have no excuse. So mm-hmm. I so what you said is that yeah God hadn't specifically said no child sacrifice, but. Isn't there something in us that tells us? And you think that Abraham would be especially attuned to that because of his close relationship with God. But that's just hmm. me me spitballing. Hmm. To, to move on, to help us make a little bit more sense of this, at least historically, I looked up how the Abrahamic religions, which is Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, how they have interpreted this. Because they're all actually quite different, which I did not expect. So That's wild, yeah. Yeah. Um, but starting with uh, the Jewish interpretation. One, I think, pretty typical Jewish interpretation. But again, like there could be others. I don't want to say this is like the Jewish interpretation. Just putting that mm-hmm. out there. But one Jewish understanding is that God never wanted Abraham to actually sacrifice Isaac. So a common explanation is that the, this challenge of the binding of Isaac. In the binding of Isaac, when I, when I started researching... This is kind of what it was traditionally called. And so that's why I labeled it that way is because that's what kept coming up, Uh, especially in Jewish sources. They called it something that I can't pronounce, but it means the binding of Isaac. And so that's why I'm calling it that. Okay. So, so the trial, because when God said, you know, I tested you and you showed me that you love me more than anything is kind of how Christians would interpret it. But um, they say that the challenge of the binding of Isaac for Abraham as a moral creature was to overcome his inclination to follow God's command and recognize that the true fear and love of God would never entail the sacrifice of his son. Hmm. How is this possible? Like just reading it. Do they have I know. a different version or? No, no, they don't. They have, that's as far as I can tell, it, it's that version. I found uh, a writing by Rabbi Joseph Lehner, who was living in the 1800s. And he kind of clarified this by saying that Abraham's challenge was to understand what the word of God really was. And so his trial was to discern the true meaning of God's word and to gain an appreciation of God's rules of moral conduct. Abraham achieved this as an independent, autonomous individual when he ultimately realized that God did not demand the sacrifice of Isaac and he knew that he could not ignore the ethical norm not to kill his son. So, continuing on in this interpretation, Abraham had an intellectual or emotional experience, like a vision or a prophecy, that something made him believe that God wants him to sacrifice his son. And as you said, like, this seems impossible for us in modern times, but it wasn't so foreign when this was going on all around you. Yeah. So... This was a three-day journey where Abraham took his son Isaac and his manservants. And they kind of, they were walking up the Mount Moriah to, to sacrifice. And so throughout his three-day journey, this rabbi says, Abraham really believed that God wants him to sacrifice Isaac. And finally, with Isaac on the altar and the knife in his hand, Abraham really begins to doubt that he understood correctly what God wants. And so he puts his knife down. 
Uh, he has another experience where the story describes it as the voice of an angel, the voice of an angel of the Lord. But this rabbi is saying the angel is really the voice of Abraham's conscious rebelling against the command Abraham believes he understood. So it's kind of like, did Abraham hear from God correctly? So Abraham can never be sure that he's interpreted God's intentions correctly or that he really knows the meaning of his prophetic experiences. And so in the end, through this lens, the prophecy is about as much is as much about Abraham as it is about God. Because when you look at the narrative as a reflection of Abraham's inner struggle, the message of the binding of Isaac is that even for those who believe that they can hear God's voice, they can never claim to understand God's words in the same way that we understand each other when we're talking. And we can't just rely on our supposed comprehension of what God commands to guide our moral behavior. We need to follow our moral intuitions at all times to help guide us in our attempt to do good and walk in God's path. So that is a very Hmm. different view. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the predominant view? Do you know? I know you said there's multiple views. It seemed like it. So the other one I came across, which was kind of similar, was also talking about, they also celebrate a Jewish feast that kind of celebrates this. So this was kind of God showing Abraham that child sacrifice is never correct. Like it was kind of God putting the kibosh on all of this and saying, we are different. We don't ever sacrifice. Okay. And so it was a joyful time of God showing a better way was hmm. the other thing I found. But all of it kind of comes down to how how is Abraham interpreting God's words or what he thinks God is saying. So I mentioned earlier, I was talking to my friend and I kind of brought this up. I was like, well, how do we know? Because now we say, I think God wants me to do X, Y, Z. And we don't actually audibly hear God. It's just like an impression. So mm-hmm. is that what Abraham was talking about? Like, is that the impression he had? Because then this interpretation makes a lot more sense to me. But my friend, she said, well, it seems like in the Old Testament, when it says God spoke, he actually spoke. And she referenced Samuel when Samuel was a boy and he was working under Eli the priest. Samuel audibly heard the voice of God and he thought it was Eli. Like it was clearly physically audible. It wasn't just a vision he had where he Mm -hmm. thought it was like some ambiguous thing. And it says, like, in that passage about Eli and Samuel, it says it was rare to hear the voice of God in those days. So that seems to imply that people used to hear clearly, audibly, the voice of God talking to them. So interesting. that's kind of, like, strike one, I guess, of, like, this interpretation kind of holding water. Because if God clearly said something, you can't interpret it incorrectly. But I don't know. So to me, I guess what's troublesome about this is when you go back and read it, it I, I just I feel like I want I want that to be true. I want right. that to be the moral. Yeah. Use your intuition. I'm all about an intuitive faith because I think that's something in my experience that has been stolen from a lot of us. However, mm-hmm. if you're gonna take the Bible kind of um and in the traditional way of inerrant and all that, it just seems like that's really that's really a stretch, right? Doesn't it? I yeah. mean, he says, the angel says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You would think at that point, Abraham would get kind of reprimanded. Be like, mm, you should have known better. So it's like, how is he triumphing? 
how is he triumphing by having his own tuition if he's literally bound his kid with a knife, uh, you know, hovering over him? Yeah. And you know? some of the things I read, again, like I could have gone deeper into this and I didn't. So if someone's more familiar, you know, please let us know. Mm. Um, it was kind of like Abraham failed in this. Like he should okay. have maybe, like okay. he should have known that God would not ask him to sacrifice his son. So maybe, I mean, going down that rabbit trail for a minute, I keep reading back to what did the angel say? Do yeah. not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. But maybe what he's leaving out is, but you still don't understand God. In this interpretation, it was very much like, this is what Abraham thought. God is not saying those words. This is Abraham's impression of a prophecy. That's so, so interesting. Which is not how, not how I would read that text. Yeah, um, I wouldn't either. And I think that actually would call inerrancy into question because why is the story rendered the way it is? Right. It doesn't It doesn't say that it was a vision or it doesn't say a dream. I mean, God can speak very clearly in dreams in the Bible, but it's very clear that this seems to be not, yeah, not just like impressions of what God wanted, but actually what God is saying. Though yeah. I do like the conclusion, I especially think for Christians living now, trusting our mm-hmm. intuition if it seems like God wouldn't tell us to do this, he's probably not. I think generally that that's true, but mm, I don't know yeah. that it applies to Abraham and Isaac. I did not expect that actually from the Jewish, I don't know, standpoint. I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. I guess I kind of thought they'd have the same interpretations as Christians, which a lot of the interpretations I've grown up with had to do with like Jesus though, and the parallels. So that makes sense that they wouldn't. Okay. So that's, an overview of Judaism. So yep. what did you find for Islam then? Yes, this one really blew my mind. So I am really excited okay. to get your uh, your thoughts because it's very different. Historically, there has been debate within Muslim communities regarding who the sacrificial son actually was. So mm. in the Muslim narrative, the dominant position is that Ishmael was actually the sacrificial son, not Isaac. I had... Oh. Never heard this before at no. all. It's very, it's very different. Um, just as a quick reminder to our listeners, according to the Bible and Christian tradition and Jewish tradition, Ishmael was the older son of Abraham, where his mother was Hagar, who was the handmaid of Sarah, Abraham's mm-hmm. wife. When Sarah couldn't get pregnant, she said, take my handmaid, sleep with her, and then Ishmael was born. That was a common thing that they did um, if a woman was barren, like if the main wife couldn't have children, was to continue the line and kind of like adopt through a handmaid. Which is also problematic, but that's for yes, another day. Yes, that's for a different, that's a different, <laughs> that is day. different. I'm just, I'm just trying to connect the dots for people. Yes, so, yes. Um, but Sarah, just to finish off what happened to Ishmael, if you read the Bible, Ishmael, and it's not funny, I'm not sure why I laughed. Sarah got really jealous it's of... It's like when it's so bad, you just can't help them. Right, right. It's kind of like that. Sarah got jealous because Hagar maybe had like a higher social status because now she had born Abraham a son and Sarah couldn't. And Sarah couldn't handle it anymore. She told Abraham and Abraham did what she said. He sent Hagar and Ishmael off into the wilderness where they almost died. Um, Hagar called out to the Lord and he provided for them. And that's kind of where the... Um, Islamic lineage comes from is through Ishmael. So mm-hmm. that's how Christians or I keep wanting to Jews, Jews right. thank you, how they would interpret it. But 
if you talk to a Muslim, they would say that we think in the sacrifice of, of Isaac, it was actually Ishmael. It was the sacrifice of, or it was the binding of Ishmael. Mm. And the Korans, I think, mm-hmm. don't they have Ishmael as the, as the, like the promised son? Yes, yes, so it's different. Another stark difference between the Muslim and Jewish Christian interpretation um, is that in the Quran, it's understood that the sacrifice was taking place when Ishmael had reached the age of maturity. So I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say stark contrast because I don't know that Jewish and Christian sources necessarily say exactly how old Isaac was. We know he was old enough to carry sticks, so he wasn't little, little, but he may not have been like full grown. Yeah. But commentators on the Quran say that Abraham saw a vision and they say vision versus like hearing the voice of God. And he told Ishmael about it because Ishmael is at the age of maturity. You're like an adult and Ishmael agreed to fulfill the command that God gave in the vision. And so both Abraham and Ishmael were submitting their will to God and they were ready for the sacrifice. So Ishmael wasn't fighting this. Isn't it? He was a grown man, like theoretically he would have been like, uh, I don't think I want to lay on the altar. That seems bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so they both submitted to God and when, and then God told Abraham he'd fulfilled the vision and he provided him with the ram instead. And so because of his obedience, God promised to reward Abraham. And one of those rewards was the birth of his son, Isaac. So, Oh, wow. That's the Islamic interpretation, which is oh, very different. And I was not even remotely so familiar with it. So I just want to, yeah, please react. That's interesting. I feel like I'm reading a book. Like, that would be such an interesting novel. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's this rivalry, of course, then Sarah being like, nah, this is from me, so this is actually the chosen son. You know? Yes. Oh, that'd be really interesting to, like, see on the big screen or read in a book. So mm-hmm. this is crazy to me. However, I remember hearing growing up someone say, well, Abraham was so old. Mm-hmm. His son could have easily gotten away. So he, so Isaac, wa- like, was willing to. So the whole idea is not completely foreign to me. No, that's Although, true. as I've kind of interacted with that idea, I thought, okay, but you're reading things in the Old Testament about people who are supposedly ancient doing crazy things. Like, I don't think we can say Abraham wasn't strong. <laughs> like, I don't, you know. I don't I, think, I don't necessarily. Yeah. But I also but, don't think Isaac would have been that weak if he was carrying the sticks. Like, carrying for the sticks. Altar. Like. So there could have been. A potential struggle we don't know we don't know. there's just like so it, much it, nothing the account leaves out applies implies that yeah but that's really interesting no i i this is really juicy i haven't juicy. used that term since our first episode <laughs> but it's feeling very juicy <laughs> so. yes all right let's bring it to our home territory bring it home back to christianity <laughs> This interpretation I'm pulling from the writings of Origen and Chrysostom, both early church fathers. I've referenced them before. Uh, They kind of give a really good overview. And their interpretation is more like context. It's not so much like Abraham didn't hear this clearly or the story was even different. It's just more like, why did this happen? So starting with Origen... Just to refresh everyone's memory, he's one of the greatest uh, scholars of scripture and one of the greatest preachers of the early church. He was alive from 185 to 254 AD, so very, very early. And Mm -hmm. he saw Abraham's intended sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah as prefiguring Christ and the realities of the new covenant. So this is very similar uh, to what we already talked about. But he sees this very much as... 
uh, a very clear prefiguring. So the ram and Isaac are figures of Jesus, and Abraham is a type of God the Father. So you see this when Isaac himself carries the wood for his own sacrifice, and this is a figure of mm. Christ, as we see Christ carried his cross. Um, and yet, typically, the priest in the Jewish tradition, the priest would carry the wood for the sacrifice. So carrying the wood is the duty of the priest. And so then you see that Isaac, like Jesus, is both victim and priest. Yeah, you see that prefiguring. Then Abraham, like God, extended his hand to take the sword or the knife and slay his son. At that moment, that's when the Lord called from heaven and said, you know, don't put your hand upon the boy. Now I know that you fear God. And so you kind of see that, that he, he was willing in this view, he was very willing to give up the life of his son. And then you think about that. And then you go to the new Testament where in the apostle Paul is talking and Paul says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So even though Isaac didn't actually die, Abraham as a figure of God was willing to do that. I, this is the view that I think I've heard Mm -hmm. growing up. Yes. Maybe not as well articulated as this, but Mm -hmm. definitely this was one. Right. Uh, John Chrysostom, he was the Archbishop of Constantinople. He is a bit later than Origen. He lived from 347 to 407. And he kind of just echoes the same thing, but he expands on it a little bit more. And he believes that this narrative of Abraham and Isaac must be read in the context of God's promise and covenant with Abraham. So that's the framework you have to put this story in. Because we need to remember that Abraham had already seen God fulfill the promises that God had made to him. Uh, I'm thinking of like well, Sodom and Gomorrah and like what God had said there. In that instance, Abraham kind of argued with God. So that is like why. Mm-hmm. So what was different about this where Abraham doesn't have any comments at all. So I will No argument. No yeah. argument. So I wonder, we don't know. There could be so much more that God could have implied or said that wasn't recorded. But I just think it's interesting that when Abraham was like, I don't know, God, let's barter almost. He didn't do that with, here. Yeah. With, yep. Which, you're right, I kind of forgot about that. I think makes it, I want to assume the best. So I want to assume maybe that that Abraham didn't actually think that he was going to go through with sacrificing Isaac. Like, I think maybe that's why there wasn't any pushback. Maybe. I don't know. That's I've heard, I know my mom thinks that Abraham thought either that or mm-hmm. that God would like resurrect him. Yes. And I kind of think those, though, thinking those two things, like the outcome would be the same. Like ultimately he was not killing his son if God resurrected him or if he didn't actually do it. So I kind of wonder if that's where his Abraham's head was at. Um, because God, he'd already seen God do these amazing and wondrous things. I mean, God said, you're going to have a son and then with Sarah and then Isaac was born and all these things. So he had this long history, long track record of watching God fulfill his promises. So it's possible that Abraham just believed that, yeah, it's somehow it doesn't seem to come true the way I thought it would. Like I thought Sarah wouldn't get pregnant, wouldn't get pregnant. So Hagar got pregnant, but that wasn't the child with the promise. And then finally, Sarah did. And so I thought it was one way. I tried to do it my way to fulfill God's promises my way. And that didn't work. But God does come through and do what he says. So. But it's still like this week I looked, you know, you know what I'm going to say, because I looked up, there have been times and I couldn't, I honestly couldn't look into this very much right? where people have thought God was telling them mm-hmm. you need to kill your children. I know. And it's, and a lot of that I bet is based in this in similar things, you know, where it's like, well, I've seen, I thought I heard God's voice and then this came true or this or that. And it's like, 
where do you draw the line? So are you psychotic great, or are yeah, you psychotic or great faith? Right. That's really kind of back to our original question. And actually, I'm very surprised by hearing these views because I feel like to me, the Christian view is the most problematic, <laughs> you know, if of the three, if you, if you look at it like without the lens of God being sovereign and in control, like you said, then you look back and you say, well, if we take it as truth that God did speak to Abraham and that we read in the New Testament that Abraham, he believed that Isaac would be returned to him. Like he did not believe mm. that this was, he was, whatever that form that took, if he was going to be resurrected or whatever, he didn't believe this yeah. was like the end of Isaac. Um, mm-hmm. Then it seems okay. But if you just look at it without that, it does not seem okay. Uh, Chrysostom references Paul, like I just said. He says that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead if he were sacrificed. I guess like these this early christian interpretation is kind of like why would god do this what was the purpose and is it to tell something about you know the coming messiah hmm. so if you say this was to show christ's sacrifice for the whole world what does this actually show us about god and we see that the abrahamic people of god they're defined by faith in and faithfulness to god and so when Abraham acted as the priest and Isaac acting as the priest and offering, it shows how God restored the priesthood of humanity. And ultimately that God does not want people's sacrifices. Like he wants them as living sacrifices. So ultimately God said, no, don't sacrifice Isaac. That's not what I want from you. And then if you look at that again as the Bible, the Bible as a whole, you go to Romans where it talks about us being living sacrifices. So mm-hmm. is that a reference to that? possible the only sacrifice god wants from us as christians if you're looking at it this way is that we have communion with god and we like join ourselves to him it, and it's christ's sacrifice which we are continually entering in and growing in unity with god so like our sacrifice is loving god loving others a life of repentance that sort of thing it's not a sacrifice where we physically die in that sense because that that was done by christ so that's, again, that's definitely putting on my Christian hat, which I realize isn't always, mm-hmm. it's not, not everyone in your audience is that way. But yeah. I think to understand the Christian interpretation, you have to kind of see how it parallels Christ and what it mm. shows us. So this is what we're talking about with the Jewish tradition, where you kind of go back, oh, God didn't want you to sacrifice Isaac. He wants you to be a living sacrifice. This is a very different mm-hmm. sacrifice. And so Jews may look at that and say, that's the end of child sacrifice, which is also good and true. I mean, not the end of, but I have to do more research on that. But Well, I yeah. think, yes, I think I get what you're saying okay. because this actually occurred to me. Um, you know, yes, within, we're going to put on our Christian hat, our Christian lens here. So if you're taking this as God telling him to actually do that, if mm-hmm. we're going to take it as that way, God actually told him to do this. And the Bible is inerrant. You know, if we're going to take all this stuff yeah. and we're going to put these assumptions on this first. One thought that occurred to me is we have to keep in mind, like you said earlier, the commands not to sacrifice your children were not in effect yet. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily clear, like you said, that Abraham knew that. I mean, his hopefully, like you said, the moral moral conscience would tell you not to. Yeah. But perhaps the idea is, I'm, I'm trying to think of a situation where this has happened to my kids on a much smaller level, right. but where you give someone, um, you know, you give them a problem to solve or something knowing that it's going to be accomplished incorrectly as a learning moment to say, oh, see, yeah, 
Is that what you're trying yes, to I get think at? That's what, I think that's what I'm trying to say is that Christ wasn't there yet. He couldn't fully fulfill the law in that way, but God was trying to show he didn't want sacrifices of goats and rams. He wants you to be a living sacrifice, ultimately. Okay. And I, is that what you're getting? Like, that's what you're trying to say like, I think in a much so, better yeah. way? And after this, we see God speak out very clearly against child sacrifice in different contexts in the law and th- and things like that. And so... Um, so potentially I, yeah. it was like because there have been times where i've told my kids you know now that you know mm-hmm. what i think about this rule or now that you know this rule if you do this you're going to it's not good you're in trouble right yeah but before it's spoken it's a little bit of a different situation however the, <laughs> there's of course holes with this theory because it's like why is god then commanding something he doesn't actually want yeah that's the part that seems bizarre to me it would be one thing if it was just like hey sacrifice your kid oh i meant sacrifice as in don't be so attached to them i know oh i meant you know (laughs) what i mean but then again it's easy for me so as someone leaning away from biblical inerrancy it's actually kind of easy to take that route because it's like well whoever recorded this story could have very easily misconstrued some things and and said oh you know maybe god did say just sacrifice and they wrote it down as like you have to burn your child and you know there's there's wiggle room there. There's also problems with thinking the Bible's not inerrant, of course, for those who are still Christians. But mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. If you're going to take it as a person of faith, there really are so many things that it's like, it is a difficult Bible passage. And it I is. just didn't realize that. I didn't realize it. <laughs> I do think, this. I also don't like the idea of God, like, giving us tests that we are going to fail. Because, like, that kind of happened mm-hmm. to me, not by God, but just by a person. And it was a terrible experience. But I can see god like giving us you know each step of the way something i don't think i i wrote down because it wasn't super it didn't seem super prominent but it was like in the heat like did god say sacrifice isaac or go up to the mountain and sacrifice but don't bring don't bring an offering because then abraham does say god will provide the the lamb and god does so it's like it's like god is telling him this like one step at a time so I kind of wonder if it's maybe that situation where it wasn't totally clear to Abraham or he just truly did believe and somehow intuited correctly that God would provide a sacrifice. I don't know. That's really interesting because I think I actually ran a source, ran across a source like that too. And it, like you, I was like, meh, I'm not going to throw that in there. But it was the idea of, yeah, being told you're going to sacrifice. It's going to be like this. And then Abraham assuming, well, if there's nothing there, it's it's going to be Isaac. But I don't know upon a plain reading of the text. I don't know. I, I, I wish Isaac had any statements. <laughs> because maybe, because it sounds very dramatic and awful. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is there, like, there? there's always more. And I, know, I don't want to just give, like, that's the Christian out. Is that we don't fully understand, which I hate. But I mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. think we don't fully understand. Yeah. We know Isaac had thoughts about this. And we don't yeah, hear them. Yeah. We don't hear his thoughts at all. <laughs> so I don't know what was going on. And I don't know why Abraham didn't talk back and was like, no, God, wait. I don't. No. Maybe we don't actually kill him. Like, you would think that that's what you would say because you've done it before. So I just feel like there has to be something missing here. That's what I'm going to believe. I, I, I don't think I'm totally crazy. Yeah. But you know, well, I there's see... other reasons that you have faith in this faith. Yes, exactly. This is not the linchpin. Yeah. yeah that's something for anyone deconstructing. Wherever you land, you can land in Christianity, you can land in atheism or anything in between. We all end up having to do this. If you think something has the most evidence for one position, Mm -hmm. there are going to be those things. 
that it's like mm, something is still off about this but does yeah. it you know where's the evidence mostly leaning and so i i just think mm-hmm. but this one story is a doozy it is a doozy <laughs> absolutely and so. I think that this passage in part is such a big issue because it it implies that God is commanding you to do something he doesn't expect you to carry out. And it's something that's against his will, will in the grand scheme of things. And so that's what I think is really tricky. If God is real, how are we supposed to determine whether it's his voice or not? If it goes against things we believe God stands for. That is very problematic. It is. And we've kind of touched on this. We've we've talked about possibilities like, okay, the commands were not given yet, though, you know, um, etc. But I, I found this really fascinating article. In this article, it references Soren Kierkegaard, who writes, What ordinarily tempts a man is that which would keep him from doing his duty. But in this case, paradoxically, the doing of one's duty is itself the temptation. The seeming absurdity of Abraham's case is this. If he had insisted on doing his moral duty and had refused to kill his son, he would have not passed the trial. Fulfillment of his ethical duty would have meant disobedience to God. So he would say, this is an example of having to choose between wrong and wrong. It's wrong to disobey God and it's wrong to murder your child. Mm -hmm. It showcases in situations like where morality is temporarily suspended, he would say, for a moment. In the wrong versus wrong instance. This is where we must deal with God alone. And choosing him in those moments is the right answer. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't love it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't love it, but I do understand the wrong versus wrong. I just never think of that in terms of the one of the wrongs being what God is telling you to do. <laughs> I, you know I, what I mean? yeah, I don't. That doesn't seem to fit with how I've always thought about God. <laughs> so another article I found talks about if something possibly got lost in translation. So this is. Abraham, Isaac, and Child Abuse. <laughs> oh, man. That's the title of this article. So it says, The Hebrew Bible translates the verse, Take your son and bring him up there as a burnt offering. And it might just mean take your son and bring him up the mountain with you to make a sacrifice there. Yeah. The verb just means to rise up. Whether it is rising up a mountain or the smoke of a sacrifice rising up to God. So if this is the misunderstanding of Abraham, God's command was not go kill your son but go take your son and teach him how to sacrifice to pass on the baton as it were yeah so what if abraham just misunderstood what if god were testing abraham's old literal and patriarchal heart and what if abraham failed the test and was found wanting what if abraham like countless other religious men in authority over the ages misunderstood god's command and didn't see that it was impossible that god was calling him to do something unspeakable to a young child what if we are meant to read the story as the great misunderstanding of Abraham, the great Abraham, the father of the nations. And we are meant to say that even the greatest can get it wrong. Even the greatest can be tempted to turn God into a monster of their own making. I mean, I love this interpretation from a someone who's a Christian who's leaning away from inerrancy. I, I think this makes a lot of sense to me. However, I don't know for someone who is still in the inerrancy camp. I don't know that you can really say this. Because it's not really warranted. So to finish up, for our atheist listeners, I think you'll find this very fascinating. It's an article, The Role of Psychotic Disorders in Religious History Considered. And I think, you know, this is just as much speculation, like on the complete other end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. as we do within religion, right? Trying to figure out what might have been happening. But I just think it's really interesting. So I'm just going to read a chunk of this. Um, It says, applying the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders paradigm, 
Abraham's auditory and visual perceptual experiences and behaviors could be understood as auditory hallucinations, visual hallucinations, delusions with religious content, and paranoid type thought content. So (laughs) we're definitely switching gears here. Um, Okay, I'll continue on. The psychiatric features occur together as a constellation in psychotic disorders of both primary psychiatric origin and secondary to medical and neurological conditions. According to this paradigm, the diagnosis of schizophrenia requires at least two out of five symptoms from criterion A and then fulfillment of the five remaining criteria. So you would have to go in and actually see more about that visually if you want in our show notes we have the link to it Um, but criterion a might theoretically be fulfilled by the presence of his auditory and visual perceptual experiences Mm -hmm. abraham is not recounted as having had symptoms that can now be appreciated as disorganization catatonia negative psychiatric symptoms or cognitive difficulties such as impaired concentration, attention, or memory. The lack of detailed information about his life prevents us from understanding whether he experienced a decline in social or occupational functioning as compared with the period before the onset of his perceptual experiences. <laughs> Can you just stop for a second? That just Is this so hard funny. to listen to? Oh, no. What were we going to say? I'm enjoying it. I just think it's so funny. It's not funny, but it's like, we don't know if this... If, if he had how his symptoms may have progressed or if he showed these symptoms I'm like right we don't know that's the whole thing we need more context we need more for we any sort of more anything um, it's so frustrating yes so it's like so frustrating. From, for both ends of the extreme like both extremes i'm trying to say yeah we just we need more you can't even diagnose the guy if he's crazy <laughs> yeah but, yeah anyway please please continue because this is fascinating it is so his generally good state of health is indicated by a purported lifespan of 175 years without mentioned affirmity. Abraham appeared not to suffer from debilitating depressive or manic-like symptoms, thereby diminishing the likelihood of mood disorder associated psychoses such as depression with psychotic features, bipolar disorder, or schizoaffective disorder. So other potential causes of such experiences need to be explored. The ingestion of hallucinogenic substances is known to produce mystical experiences. So there has been speculation that plants with psychoactive properties were valued by the ancient Israelites, but no direct evidence has been uncovered for their actual use for inducing mystical experiences in this population. Mm -hmm. Another possibility would be that of epilepsy-induced mystical experiences. Grandiose and messianic-type delusions are recognized as occurring in association with complex partial seizure disorders, Mm. but Abraham is not recounted as having had any infirmities that might resemble the phenomena we now commonly understand to accompany seizures the absence of apparent effective medical or neurological conditions increases the possibility that a psychotic disorder could have been present Mm -hmm. schizophrenia is often accompanied by both disorganized behavior and thought processes that interfere with life functioning in the case of abraham and in the others that follow disorganization and cognitive impairments are not apparent paranoid schizophrenia however is a subtype of schizophrenia that tends to manifest little or no disorganization, has preserved functional affect, and is associated with better occupational and social functioning. Psychotic disorder, not otherwise specified, is another reasonable diagnostic alternative. And I'm going to read that again because 
it's psychotic disorder not otherwise specified i am not a psychiatrist but that's this kind of sounds like a catch-all maybe like something's yes. off but we don't know exactly we don't what. Know what okay so this includes those persons with psychotic symptomatology for which there is inadequate or contradictory information or symptoms that do not meet criteria for any specific psychotic disorder mm-hmm. abraham's clinical profile would appear to best resemble that of psychotic disorder not otherwise specified or paranoid schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and perhaps less likely an affective disorder related psychosis abraham stands out as the earliest case of a possible psychotic disorder in literature (laughs) isn't that interesting yeah so i don't i don't know that we have a lot of um answers on this at all It remains a difficult Bible passage. <laughs> it does. And I, yeah, that's kind so. of where I mean, like, yeah, it's cl- it's clear where I'm landing. But it's also, I think, okay for me to say I don't like it. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of, I think I understand it. I can, I can reconcile it, but I don't like it. Like, I'm not mm, comfortable yeah. with it. it. Still makes me feel kind of nervous inside. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. As we're as we've been talking about it. I really thought to myself, it's passages like this that make me so glad I'm not operating in the inerrancy camp anymore, personally, as far as thinking of the Bible as having to be perfect and having to be God's infallible word to us, because it makes it a lot easier to deal with the massive unknowns of this passage and the massive perceived problems, right? Um, I believe that there's enough historical and factual truth in the Bible alongside you know, kind of spiritual experiences I've had that have been in the Christian tradition that I don't have to have the text inerrant to still remain a Christian and to still derive spiritual guidance from it. But it also gives me leeway to look at this passage and not have to justify what I read as good or right, because it's possible in this case, maybe Abraham or the author of the account got something wrong. It doesn't make the passage feel less uncomfortable, but it does allow me a certain amount of freedom, I guess, in dealing with it that perhaps uh you know those in other camps might not experience well jenny thank you so much for going to the depths of discomfort mm-hmm. <laughs> in this one with me it was surprise you're right it was surprisingly hard i think because coming out of our hell series i really thought right. that would be kind of like the most unnerving this, this was this was harder this was harder than sodom and gomorrah for me i guess that's uh, the deconstruction process If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.